0: Good morning. We're back in Genesis. Um, Today our scripture passage is Genesis 37. And if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's word. Genesis 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him And could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. And he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. You may be seated.
1: Thank you, Kim. Good morning, Reliance. Good to see you. To um, be quite honest, when we started our series in Genesis, it was my ambition to be done with the letter or the book of Genesis in December. And we made it to Genesis chapter 36. So um, we're back in it. Um, I'm grateful that uh, we still get to spend some time in it. As we get through the book of Genesis, and you come, I hope you might come to the annual meeting in the potluck and tell where we're going next after this. Joseph and the story of Joseph is significant. Probably one that we shouldn't rush through Considering, if you've walked with us through the letter or the book of Genesis, how conflicting, how, uh, how we are often reminded of our own current situations in our own families. I mean, it, it starts off from the very beginning. Cain and Abel. Cain's heart stirred towards jealousy because God favored Abel's offering and so Cain was very angry and killed him. Talk about dysfunctionality starting in the very beginning of human history. It started with Adam and Eve not obeying the Lord, and it transferred to the children, Abraham and Lot. You read through and you read the life of Abraham as he makes his way to the promised land. And you see the strife that begins to take place between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Abraham, Abraham trusting the Lord, he said, it Lot, pick your land. Because of the issue and the strife that existed within the family, that it was time for them to separate. Sarah and Hagar, that was messed up. Sarah envying Hagar, who can give Abraham a son, abuses or oppresses. Hagar to the point where she is sent off alone to take care of Ishmael. It's just like it's constant throughout the whole book of Genesis. Isaac and Rebekah, that was another issue. Isaac loved Esau, Rebekah loved Jacob, and it's for the first time and you see within a family in the book of Genesis where you see parents Acting with parental favoritism, choosing their favorites. Jacob and Esau struggled not in their toddler years, that's not where it began, the dysfunctionality in their family. It started in the womb. Laban, when he runs, when Jacob runs for his life because he's just deceived Esau twice, and he finds himself in Laban's house the conflict between Laban and Jacob as he worked for seven years for the woman of his dreams only to find out in the morning that Laban had deceived him and given him Leah. Dysfunctionality throughout the entire book. And on top of that, you have Leah, Rachel, and Jacob as you read their story and they have issues And then you have the issues between now Leah's children and Rachel's children. As the reader, you have to ask the question, is there any hope? When is this going to stop? Is there anything that will stop the degenerational habits of a family which plague it for years upon years. And this disunity, whether it was anger or resentment or jealousy or deceit, is put on great display when you consider Joseph. And One of the reasons why I think it is fitting that we can consider the life of Joseph And why it was so significant for the nation of Israel. Not only to describe where they came from and how they ended up in Egypt. But it became a story of hope. Of an individual throughout the book of Genesis. There's one person who does it right. There's nothing ever described against him. And he's this runt in the family, so to speak. And he's despised by everyone. He's the recipient of other people's sin. He's misunderstood and he is mistreated, not just in his family as we watch, even in his time in Egypt, but there's something about him that at the end of his life, he is able to stop the anger, the resentment, and the jealousy which exists in this family. Question is, as we go through it, is that we come to realize it for ourselves, the hope that we have might have in our own families. I'm going to prayer here in a second. But well, as we look through the life of Joseph, as we're introduced to it today, let us not be naive. The challenges that we read in the book of Genesis when it comes to family life are ones that we often deal with ourselves. Since the time of Adam and Eve the present age, none of us will escape the challenges of dealing with family. Not saying that every family is going to lead up to the point where they hate or to the point where they can't even speak peaceably to one another. But I do believe that families often have to struggle fighting to coming to that point. And some families are at that point. So, Whether or what side you're on, the tension exists because we are the descendants of Adam and Eve. The question is, what is it about Joseph's life that ultimately can end it? Well, that's a number of weeks ahead. Today, we're looking at the beginning. And I think there is something for us as parents and as children to acknowledge and consider and convicted by in light of the dysfunctionalities within a family. I ask you to pray with me. Lord, I, I admit, and I know that we'd all admit, we come into this world with our own issues. It's not just Cain who was prone to being angry. It's not just Lot desires the better it's not just isaac and rebecca who tend to favor one child over another it's not just my children or another's children we all have this issue like jacob and esau a sibling rivalry and we tend to put ourselves and pit ourselves against each other thinking that somehow by doing so we can get ahead of the other and Lord, we recognize that in the, the season of the journey that we now get to walk through with Joseph, there's hope. He's a man of integrity. And Lord, I pray, Lord, it's, he is wrongfully accused, he's misunderstood, He is mistreated. He often portrays the characteristics of Christ. And Lord, I pray that as we consider them for ourselves, Lord, we would fear the habits of Jacob, that might take place in our own children's lives as parents. Pray as children, we be keenly aware that we do not have to pick up the traditions or the habits of our parents that are sinful against you, that we have a choice to live honorably before you when it comes to these areas that we struggle. So Lord, I pray wherever there would be a parent or a child today as we consider Joseph's story today, Lord, I pray, that our families would be moved more to unity rather than disunity, in Jesus' name, Amen. I went through all that history primarily to just stress this point: the conflict which Joseph was born into was generational. And the reality is, is this, is that so is ours. Like you were born into a family that had issues before you arrived. And as you grew up in that family, the issues that were not your issues now have become your issues. Question is, is how is Joseph able to walk with the pre- predetermined issues in a manner above reproach? And when he comes onto the scene, he's introduced to us at the age of 17. And immediately, the author puts three strikes against him of why those in his family, particularly the children of Leah, have issue with Joseph. And I want to stress those strikes before you, one after the another. One, his first strike is Joseph's report. Or another way, maybe his honest report. Look with me in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. If, if you're familiar with the book of Genesis... You brace yourself, because you're ready for the two-page genealogy of who begot who. Yet we know that Jacob has begot, twelve sons. And here is how the author records the generations of Jacob. It it is a subtle, like, this one's the one that Jacob cared about. These are the generations of Jacob, Joseph. It it skips over all the rest. And the focus is immediately put up on the issue of this individual known Joseph. And he goes on to continue. If you have an issue and you're Joseph's brother, like, well, what about us? Being 17 years old, here is his first strike against him. He was pasturing the flocks with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Belah and Zilphah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father strike one i'm sure this doesn't happen in your house if you one one you were a child i'm sure you didn't do this or two that you live in a house where children do this oh man i have found myself to become quick to assume because with six kids there are six often reports and when one child does something against another, it's one thing. When my oldest reports I tend to trust, or the oldest report, I tend to trust. But when the youngest the youngest reports who's five, there is no trust. Um, however, Joseph is this guy. He is not just five, not he is 17. And I will give reasons later. To to state that I believe that Joseph's tr- uh, his report was indeed trustworthy. In fact, it's not hard to assume why his brothers would have issue with Joseph. This is a brotherhood of trust. Joseph, knowing that the things at which they look over are indeed his father's, and that the way that they've been handling the sheep has than a shortcoming in their expectations. And Joseph. Revealing in truth. These shortcomings. Has earned for him. Strike one. Against his brothers. You'll notice that the author continues. He puts the second strike. Right after the first. Second strike is a father's generosity. Man. Verse three. This one's a loaded. Now Israel. Having so many sons loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now the robe wasn't just a robe. We give gifts to our kids. the robe was in, connected to this expression from Jacob that it was his, his, his it was his intent. Or desire to make Joseph heir of the family. To make him the firstborn. Now, if you had an issue with Joseph already, you have one strike. The second strike, now Jacob, who has been the recipient of parental favoritism from his own family, is now have not learned from his own experiences, have overlooked 10 other sons to look to. The 11th son to bestow upon him whom he thinks should take on the family legacy. A child, in reality, we recognize, seeks love from their parents. And when this occurrence occurs, it is not hard to imagine As the other siblings watch this play out, the craving that which God has meant for their parents to satisfy, be unsatisfied, that is how easy it would have been for them to replace that which they desired and move it towards jealousy. For they longed for the same. How is it that this 17-year-old gets the highest rank within the family? Look at verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. Already, this should strike within the imagination the memory of Cain. For when God favored Abel's offering over Cain, what filled in Cain's heart was jealousy or anger, resentment. Cain's motivation and his mind, well, if you want to pick which child to favor, I'll just eliminate one of the problems so that your attention can be on me. It's exactly what Cain had done. The children, seeing what had been displaced on Joseph, their turn was towards Cain's behavior. And notice what happens. They couldn't even speak peaceably to him ever had the individual, when they walk in the room, everything on your skin tingles. Hairs go up and you can't even look. Joseph walks in the room. There's so much of an issue that's in their family. They can't even think good thoughts about him. Nonetheless, speak to him. Talk about a dysfunctional family. Imagine sitting around the table in this family. They probably had two places to sit. Strike one, Joseph's report. Strike two, and I want to emphasize this, none of these, I believe, are Joseph's fault. Even in the second, the father's generosity, the sin which was his father's, becomes the burden for our Joseph will experience life in the family. We'll get back to that, parents, at the end. Strike three. Joseph has dreams. Maybe he's a little bit naive. Maybe. But God was gracious to reveal and overlook the 10 older brothers to look at the 11th son of Jacob and to reveal his plan to him in dreams. Look it with me at verse 5. And I say maybe Joseph is a little naive because he hasn't observed what life is like. And now he's just going to set things more against himself. Verse 5, now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, there again, it just filled it up. They hated him even more. Three occurrences. You'll find in Genesis chapter 37, this elevated filling up within the hearts of Joseph's brothers, this hatred for him. They hated him even more. Joseph starts getting his dreams. He starts talking about them and just mere mention of them makes them upset and more bent against him. You would think at this moment, you don't talk about your dreams anymore. Joseph, a bit naive, pours gas upon the fuel, maybe. Perplexed about what he's dreaming about, he continues. Verse 6. He said to them, Here, this dream that I have had dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves, verse 7, in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright." Behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed to my sheaf Can you imagine the brothers who are bent against him thought that this dream was highly bent towards Joseph's favor that's very clever Joseph to make up dreams to make us minimal over your efforts and they perceive that Joseph is attempting to with the coat, with his honesty, to be the dominant one within the family. Notice, Joseph hasn't interpreted. In verse 8, it's his brothers who are doing the interpreting of the dreams. Joseph has merely just said them. In verse 8, his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? And that ain't happening. Or are you indeed to rule over us? They they have interpreted what he has revealed. Joseph has not interpreted his own dream. He's asking. And so they hate him all the more. Third occurrence. For his dreams and for his words. Strike one, his honesty. Strike two, his father's favoritism. Strike three, God revealing dreams to him. In the first occurrence, he just merely mentions it. They hate him. He describes it. They hate him all the more. You think he would be done. And he has another dream. What do you do? You're talking to your dad and the brothers see it. They're going to be angry about that. He's stuck. It's so the verse 9. Then he dreamed another dream. What are you going to do? And he told his brothers, and this time his dad's there. Well, we'll just bring dad along this time. Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. This time not the brothers who speak, who speaks, the father. But when, his, when he told it to his father and to his brother, his father rebuked him. You notice again, Joseph's not interpreting. Who's doing the interpreting? The family. It's going to slip on us because when Joseph ends up in Egypt, he's going to be doing interpreting of dreams. But in the beginning, he's having the dreams and the family's interpreting for him. But when he told it to his father and his brother and his father, he rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Like, who has control over their dreams? If you do, let's talk. Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? Another way, another way of saying it, just keep your dreams to yourself. This is silly. Look at verse 11. Striking. You have already three strikes against Joseph every time he talks. And all of a sudden now he has dreams. It's just making it worse and worse and worse for him. And finally, his brothers were jealous of him. Something that they wanted, desired for themselves. But his father kept the saying in his his mind. Why? Why? I mean, I just thought, just a second ago, Joseph's father, Jacob, rebuked him. Why in the world would Jacob rebuke his son and then say, let's put that on file? I remember this. I remember. Like when when Jacob deceived Esau and Esau wants to kill Jacob, Jacob runs for his life. I'm going to go to the house of Laban. And on the way to Laban's house, what happened? rests his head on a stone, because that's all he has for a a pillow. And in the night, he had, what? A dream. And in that dream, God revealed his promises to Jacob. And Jacob has now lived his life up to this point, and seen all of those promises come to be true. Now his son has a dream. Jacob is an interesting individual. He knows it by his own experience, and when he hears that one of his sons is having a dream, he rebukes him. But let's put it on pile. Three strikes. Strike one: his honesty. Strike two: father's favoritism, passiveness, passiveness. He's always been this way. And three dreams. And I think it might be an important note, just to make it real c- quick. I don't believe, and I've already stated this: Joseph hasn't done anything wrong. A man does not have control over what he dreams. He's merely the recipient, both of sin, of favoritism, which has caused the disfavor position within his family before his brothers. And while J- Joseph was making his report to his father, I don't have any reason to view it as being dishonest. Especially in light, as you continue to read the life of Joseph, he does nothing wrong. He's always above reproach. Even when he's in the house of Potiphar and with his wife, even when he's lied against, he is above reproach. Even while he's in prison, he's above reproach. There's nothing within the life of Joseph that I see that he acts selfishly and sinfully, which I think is why Genesis has waited to put him in the end. Two, Joseph isn't suggesting anything when he talks about his dreams. He's just like, help me out. We're going to see later as you read the Old Testament, you have kings who have dreams. Pharaoh's going to have a dream and he goes and he says, please help me out. I keep having this dream. It plagues my mind. Maybe some of that going in Joseph's mind. One, I don't see him being and trying to move himself into a domineering position within his family. He's just trying to deal with it. Three, one, he's only reporting what he sees. Two, he's, He's merely just trying to find help. Three, I'm going through this because I have heard at times that people might suggest that Joseph is acting immature. I, I, I don't know. I don't see it. Not, not to suggest that those who see it that way are wrong. I'm just saying, I think the text leans it the other way. Three, you will find no other man like Joseph in Genesis. You won't. You won't find it in Jacob. Jacob's an immoral man. Isaac, immoral man. Abraham, Yes, even him. Immoral man. Joseph is different. For the dreams come true. In fact, way looking down the head, what he experiences here in Genesis forty one, fifty-seven, moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was so severe over all the earth. And you see the fruition of these promises being lived out later and realized when Joseph's brothers and father come before him. I say all this, that while these strikes, while there's favoritism, while there's sibling rivalry and misunderstanding and divine blessing being revealed, Joseph is the recipient of other people's sin. How does a family end the friction when it's not your fault? This is why Joseph's life is so valuable to the generations ahead. It's often, it's easy when both parties are wrong, but Joseph is the individual who is going to weather this harsh treatment, not just in this family, but in Potiphar's house along the way. How does he maintain his integrity along the way? This rivalry, this favoritism ultimately comes to a boiling point. I just read this, as Kim read it this morning with us. Second point, Joseph's mistreat. For the sake of time, I will spend some of it reading through the text, some of it paraphrasing. One ought to wonder, Jacob, you're the recipient of parental favoritism. Like, why hasn't he learned Like you dealt with it, now you are exercising and promoting it in your own family. I mean, Genesis 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau. You saw it every day. Why? Because dad liked meat. I I don't blame Isaac. And Rebecca did the same thing, loved Jacob. And this favoritism breeded within the family, and it has. Been festering within the heart of Jacob, it is coming now to its boiling point. That it finds us shocking that when you get to the point in verse twelve, that Jacob is going to ask Joseph, Go find your brothers. Now his brothers, verse twelve, went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Remember, you remember what happened in Shechem? Maybe not. It's pre-Christmas, right? Right. Remember Dinah? Dinah goes to Shechem and she's playing with the young ladies there. And the prince of the land abuses Dinah. Jacob hears word that Dinah has been oppressed by this man. He does nothing. Where are the brothers at? Back in Shechem. In the situation with Dinah, the brothers going to fight for Dinah's honor slaughtered all the men. They went back. Jacob's Jacob's worried naturally because his sons are in the place where they killed a whole bunch of men. The fear for their safety is sincere. And to be fair, Jacob does not not love his children. He loves his children. So he's going to send Joseph Are they okay? Because last time they were at Shechem, it was not good. Verse 13. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pastoring the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to them, here I am. And so he said to them, go now, see if it is well with your brothers. (laughs) Last time they were there, it got sketchy. Say it mildly. And with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. Joseph runs into a man, they're not in Shechem, they're in Dothan. And he makes his way to go find the brothers. You want to see a hint of how frustrated, how angry they are with Joseph? Look at verse 18. They saw him, that's all they had to do. They saw him afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. This is Cain all over again. It's all over again. Can't even look at him. We we tend to minimize jealousy, discontentment, anger. We we tend to minimize it. Jesus didn't Scriptures don't. In the Ten Commandments, being content. Matthew five twenty one, as Jesus was teaching, you've heard it that it said, to "Those of old, you shall not murder." And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Why can he talk like this? Because anger is the seed which leads to murder. And they have been more than angry with this man Joseph. And what is he, has he done wrong? Has he done anything wrong? No. They don't like him. First John three fifteen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Right? Like a person that comes into the room, your hair stands up on end. And you can't even look at him despise him, jealous of them. These are the, the, like promptings of the seeds. Which will kill you. Or which will kill. And they're there. And so they said in verse 19, they said to one another, come. It's time. Here comes the dreamer. They got a nickname for him. It's cute. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into the pit. Joseph makes his way up to his brothers. And the scene unfolds quickly. Verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, well, there's one person in the family. It's still not quite there. He heard it. He rescued him out of their hands, saying, oh, let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pit, this pit here in the wilderness. Do not lay a hand on him. That he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Let's just, let's just kick our brother around. But when the scene unfolds, it's quite harsh. Verse 22. Excuse me. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe. I can't help it sometimes when I read the life of Joseph. It's like, man, this looks like, and this is why the church, early church fathers used Joseph as a type of Christ. Christ was stripped. Joseph, as he makes his way before his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, and the robe of many colors that he wore. You will not be our heir. Dominate over us. Rule over us. And they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. The the next verse is scary. Like anger and jealousy is able to sear the mind. This is a family. This is family. They've watched him grow up. They used to play with him. Now they have stripped him naked, thrown him in a pit. Next verse. And they sat down to eat. The potential what sin can do to the mind, it can make it so heartless. And Joshua is the recipient of other people's inability to do with their own sin. That's what's so striking about Joseph. Like, if you're in the pit, you and I, we are shaking our fist. Is he hasn't done anything wrong? Problem isn't Joseph; it's his family. <laughs> like, how does his family issue end? That's, that's a couple chapters ahead. What is striking for us as the reader is that we are reminded that the innocent suffer as we do not deal with our own sin. It's so strange, you've heard me say it before, that we believe that sin is this somehow box that you can go into and you can do whatever you want and it will not impact anybody outside of the box. It's not true. It'll destroy a family. Your inability, let me not point the finger at you, our inability to deal with our sin will impact our children. Significantly, parents. Your passiveness, your inability to look into your own life will be transferred on to your children. And it has been happening generation after generation after generation. It has festered now into the life of Jacob and now has been implanted into his children. And his children have said, we'll take it too. And now you have a naked boy sitting in a pit and they're eating as if life just goes on now. Strange. Strangely. Seeking to actually now make money, they see the travelers go by. They sell. Their brother, Joseph. Their heart is heartless. You you pull the tension out of that, man. When Joseph is finally later in the story, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, you know there's a moment where Joseph's on the throne and his brothers come up. <laughs> like There's a reason why they say don't kill us. Because they deserved it. Reuben, verse 29, hears sees that Joseph is gone he's lost it hands are now tied what are we going to tell father and Jacob who has lived a life of deceiving family has now trained his children very well verse 32 and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said this we have found. Please identify. We don't know, baby. Come on. Is this Joseph's robe or not? And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. 22 years is going to pass where this father believes his son is dead. And he goes in no doubt, and rightfully so, for any of a child who is lost goes into grief. Hint at the very end, verse 36. He's safe the house of Potiphar. Convictional response. I've hinted to some of them. If, he, if the author was intent to try to teach us anything, parents, It is the passive perspective on our own issues. If we do not deal with them, how they will be transferred to our children. We are obligated, called by God to train up our children to obey and follow the Lord. And that requires an internal look at yourself. Are you walking in a way that's honoring before the Lord? For they will pick up your practice. And neglecting the, the needs or the, even the desires. Like these, these ten other siblings had sincere felt desires that should have been fulfilled from their parents. It, it's okay to be loved by a parent. It's actually good. It is evil when a parent picks one over all the others. And so that felt desire was a sincere good desire. God-given desire, but the lack of feeling it in Jacob became the motivation to why they placed Joseph in a pit naked. They're all guilty. Their parents' role is significant. And I say this, I know there's... Established individuals in our church, meaning you're outside of the window of raising your own family. Like my grandparents played a huge role, and I and I've mentioned them frequently in my spiritual journey. I I need you to realize this: that we are growing up in a generation right now where our children, because families are not having children at young ages where these children are growing up without grandparents. Influential roles that that use their wisdom of life to pour down into the next generation. Don't think that just because you're done, like, our children need you to serve them, to teach them, to love with them. I learned prayer because my grandparents prayed. So incredibly grateful for that. Children, no doubt, you can look into your parents' lives, and my children can. And they can see things that are wrong in me. You don't have to do it. You can walk towards the standards of God, knowing them, and not carrying on the traditions of your parents. That's one of the beautiful things about marriage is when you get married, you start a a new family and you carry on this new life. And so you can actually turn to the Lord, make the Lord's standards the standards for your family and walk in anew. Because you know that if you don't deal with your issues, that they will as well transfer into your own family. It's a convicting passage where you get to see firsthand that undealt issues within the family transfer to the family upon the innocent. One way to respond to it is Lord, what do I need to do it with? As a parent, am I leading? Am I dealing with my own sin? I fear that it might take place in my children's. Children, you don't have to continue the tradition. It's what's beautiful about the gospel. We repent and we turn a new way. walk according to the standards of God. Let's pray.